Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Good morning, Christ Community Church. Yes. Ah, fall is in the air. That means football. Oh, I love this time of year. I love this time of year. All right, well, we're starting a brand new sermon series this weekend, Piercing the Darkness. We're going to be looking at Satan and demons over the next four weeks. Uh, The reason for that is because we really need to know our enemy. We need to know our enemy. You, um, you know, C.S. Lewis said there are two equal but opposite errors you can get into when talking about demons. You can become like obsessed with them and get over here, or you can just ignore them. And what we need to do, the Bible actually talks quite a bit about Satan and who he is and what he's doing. And Paul and Peter constantly warn the church, be on guard, be on guard, know the schemes of the devil. So the next four weeks, we're going to put you on guard, train you for spiritual warfare. How's that sound? But first... Yeah, there we go. First, we're going to have a little fun. Now, how many of you have seen The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon? I'm not going to call you sinners or something for watching. It's okay. Raise your hand. I watch it, too. Um, Now, you may not know this, but Jimmy Fallon actually is the number one late show in America by far. I mean, he beats Jimmy Kimmel and all those other guys. He's, He's got double their ratings. And you ask yourself, why is that? Because I mean, he basically has the same kind of format they have, has the same kind of guests they have. It's always like two stars, one pitching a TV show, one pitching a movie, and then somebody sings or there's a stand-up comic, and good night, folks. And you got five minutes of monologue making fun of the news, which these days is pretty low-hanging fruit, is it not? Um, so you got all that going on. But, but the reason I think he's so, his ratings are so, so is he has fun. One of the things he does with his guests is he plays games with his guests. And so we're going to kick off with a game he often plays, a couple this morning, a game of flip cup. Now typically this is not, this is played with a beverage we discourage here at Christ Community Church. (laughs) This morning we of course are, this is Christian beer, Mountain Dew. (laughs) It's just as bad for you, but you know, it won't get you like a DUI or anything, so it'll destroy everything but your liver, I think. But anyway, we're going to play that. So I got a couple who volunteered. Guys, come on up, Tyler, Arizona. Give them a hand for volunteering to do this in front of a 700 people. Line up, you got water, you got Mount Dew. Okay, here's how it's going to go now. Some of the rules. You got to work your way from there down here. You got 30 seconds. Whoever has, you have to take, sip it, and then you got to flip it. If you get through all three before 30 seconds, first one do that, you win. At the end of 30 seconds, whoever has the most wins. Now, no punching, no kicking, no biting, no cussing. And you can't break up after this because you got (laughs) mad that the other one won. I don't want that on my conscience. Okay? All right, so let's get ready. Get set, go. Here we go. All right, all right. Come on, it's just water. You can do it. (laughs) Come on. Oh, we got some problems. Oh, we got one. Ten seconds. Ah, come on. 
It's an art. Not one that I'm sure I want you to know, but that's okay. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Five seconds left. Five seconds left. Three, two, one. Oh, the winner. The winner. Congratulations. All right, be good sports. Thank you, guys. Give them a hand. All right. Now let me clean this mess up that I've made. It's not fair to make Blake or someone else do it. Well, why in the world would I have guys come up here and play Flip Cup? Well, there is a reason for that. I actually do. There is a method to my madness. Madness it may be. And that is, I think it's imperative for Christians to get together and just have fun. I think one of the ways we conduct spiritual warfare, believe it or not, is just have fun. Is to get together as Christians and have fun. Play stupid games like this. Not with the adult beverages, but you get the point. Just have stupid games and get together and have fun. Every Halloween, my, my wife and I, we just invite people together to just together and have, have fun. Just play stupid games. Last year we had this trivia game. We had the girls versus the guys. And, and you got to if, you, if you got to, if you made the shot or whatever, you got to pick your trivia uh, category, and there were girls and guys trivia, and here's what's embarrassing. I I'm glad Jay Vastine's not here this morning to be embarrassed. The guys lost to the girls on the category of Ohio State football. Man, oh man, how embarrassing was that, right? Well, anyway, I'm going to tie that all back in, so just stick with me, because where I know it's weird transition to go playing a flip cup game to go talk about Satan, even though Satan fosters flip cup on campuses across the country. Um, most of us, our idea of Satan is something like this. Show them the image from, from South Park, which is, of course, a dirty show that none of you watch. Um, you got the image up there? There it is. Most of us, when we think of Satan, think something like this. Satan's a regular character on South Park. They mock it. Most pop culture mocks it. Back in my day, it was John Lovitz as the devil on SNL, if some of you remember that. But this is typically the image we have of Satan. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says this is what he looks like. In fact, he's a spiritual being, so he can probably look like a lot of different things. And probably does not look like that. So who is Satan? Well, here's the deal. The Bible doesn't give us a full picture, but here's what we can glean. First of all, um, let's go through the names. Satan has many names in the Bible. Satan is a Hebrew word meaning adversary because he opposes God and God's people. That's where the name comes from. The other name we know him by is Diabolos, the devil. The devil, which means slanderer. One who speaks and spreads falsehoods, lies. And Rick's going to touch on that in a couple weeks. Dad will deal with Satan as the accuser next week. And then Rick will deal with Satan as the liar and the father of lies. And then I get to tackle the question of hell um, in three weeks. So now, as best we can tell, and there are some Jewish sources to back this up, Satan's original name was Lucifer, which means morning star. Now, it's, it's hard to say how literally you should take chapters 4 to, through 21 of the book of Revelation. It, it, it's hard to tell how literal you should take that. 
in Revelation 12, there are passages there, though, there is especially one passage, you want to throw that up there, and it talks about um, him as the dragon, it said, another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head, and I haven't got time to get into all that, its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth, that may be referring to the other angels that rebelled along with Satan, Satan was an angel who rebelled in heaven and took a bunch of angels with him. And then the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. That could refer to Jesus or it could refer to the church. And in fact, I think it probably refers to the church because over and over again, Scripture warns that Satan is attempting to devour Christians. You know, he doesn't care that much about non-Christians. As long as they're being non-Christians, he's happy. But when you become a Christian, then he wants to knock you off. Okay, well, why is he doing this? Why did he rebel in the first place? Well, the closest answer we can get is in Isaiah. In Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, the prophet says the following. If you could throw that up there for me, guys. Isaiah 14, 12 through 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star. There it is, Lucifer. Another name would be Lucifer. Son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You set in your heart, here's what Satan is saying. This is when he rebelled. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the throne of the Mount of Assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zephon. 14, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Satan was an angel who looked at God and said, I want to be above you. That's where the rebellion came from. And Satan continues to rebel. Because here's the deal. The Bible tells us that angels do not get a second chance. The Bible says we get a second chance when we rebel. And quite frankly, that is sin is a rebellion against God. It is basically having the same attitude as Lucifer saying, I want to be above God. Because anytime you sin, you're saying to God, you don't know what you're talking about. I do. I'll be my own God. That's what you're doing. And so we have that same spirit of rebellion. And, and Satan loves to foster that, especially in Christians. Because he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. And he has been very, very successful, especially among young Christians. I said this in my class this morning. It's a figure worth repeating. And I want you to hear this. 75% today, 75% of self-identified Christian kids who go off to college leave the faith in, within two years. And most of them are not coming back. 75%. Something for you to think about before you send your kids off to college. Especially a secular college. I can tell you, I went to a secular co I went to a, a law school, which you're thinking, well, of course, law school is satanic. Um, I went to a law school, and, and I mean, immediately, because I was a Christian conservative, I was the Nazi. I was the racist homophobic pig, all that kind of stuff. And you just get battered like that on college campuses. This is one of the reasons I tell, and you should consider this, I tell my son all the time, son, you want to go to a Christian college? I'll pay for it. You want to go to a secular college? You're paying for it. Because I am not paying tens of thousands of dollars for someone else to deconvert and indoctrinate my kids. 
Why would you do that? But part of the problem is, and here's where Satan has worked as well, we spend too much of our time as Christian parents or grandparents worried about whether our kids will be successful and too little time worrying about whether or not they'll be faithful. And I'll tell you this, I would rather have my son be unemployed and on food stamps and be a faithful Christian than a billionaire going to hell. I just think that's the way we have to look at it. And see, they go off to college campuses and then they leave the faith and then, and this happens, this is, what, this is how I, I, almost every atheist I've ever met. Atheists, when I was an atheist, this is what I did. I declared myself an atheist, and then I went to find arguments to support it. Now, that doesn't mean that apologetics aren't important to defend the faith. 1 Peter 3.15 says we are to defend the faith. You defend the hope we ha you have within you. But most atheists... Most people who are, or there's a growing number now in, in America, they just call themselves nuns. Not the ones with the habits and the Catholic, I mean the N-O-N-E-N, nuns. These are people who just say they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. And this is growing. How do we combat that? How do we combat that? What do we do? They go and they look for arguments. They, they go and they look, for example, they adopt the theory of evolution. I did that. When I became an atheist, I was like, well, I'm a Darwinist. I had no idea what a Darwinist was. I just said, well, I'm, I'm, you know, scientists believe in it, so it's got to be, you know, something there. And if you've ever read a serious book on Darwinism, like I, I finally read, when I got into Christian apologetics, I actually, I actually read Charles Darwin's The Origin of Species. Read it all. Those were hours of my life I will never get back. You, what was it like? Let me put it this way. If Ambien doesn't cut it for you, Try reading Darwin's Origin of the Species. It's the most boring thing on the face of the planet. And the thing is this, Darwin doesn't say he knows how anything started. He admits that. He also admits in his book that if we find that life is so complex that it doesn't fit with his theory, then his theory is wrong. Guess what? We found that out a long time ago. I remember when I was 20 years old, I was working for a guy who was a Christian, and he asked me, because he, he saw me smoking and cussing and all that kind of stuff, he said, so where are you, you Christian? I said, no, nah, I'm an atheist. He said, really? He said, yeah. He said, so you Darwinist? I said, yeah. He said, let me tell you a story. He said, he asked me this question. He said, do you have a dream car? I said, yeah, I have a dream car. I said, what's your dream car? Go ahead, I'll show you my dream car. It's still my dream car. It was in 1992. It still is. This is my dream car. 68 Ford Mustang GT, baby. That's a car. That is a car. And I've wanted that car ever since I saw the 1968 movie Bullet. How many of you seen Bullet? Yeah, Steve McQueen, baby. Steve McQueen was the king of cool. Steve McQueen was cool. And he was tough. Raced on the streets, he was tough. I, I, I'm telling you this right now. I know that the, the joke is that every night the boogeyman checks his closet for Chuck Norris. Up until 1980 when Steve McQueen went to be with the Lord, Chuck Norris checked his closet for Steve McQueen. That guy was bad. And I remember watching Bullet and that car chase. You remember the car chase? If you don't, get ready. Show him. No, not that clip. <laughs> there we go. 
Here we go. Look at this. Steve McQueen actually did a lot of the driving, too. Every dude in the universe wants to be able to do that, wants a car chase in the city streets. Look at that thing. That is a thing of beauty. There's Steve McQueen. Oh, heck, yeah, you got to squeal the tires. That's important. Oh, he's chasing Dilbert and his father. Anyway, all right, that's enough. If I keep playing it, I'm just going to sit down and watch Bullet. Um, but that was my dream car. And so he said to me, Matt, he said, I, I bet this would have, think about this for a second. He said, let's say you wake up one morning and you walk outside, and there it is in your driveway, 68 Ford Mustang GT, detailed out. Runs like a top, keys in it, no one else inside. And you're like, yes. And you have a couple buddies over, you're bragging on the car, look at that car, look at that car, can't even believe it, it's just there. One buddy says, well, you know what, Matt, I, I know how that car got here. It started with a bolt. And then over thousands of years, slowly a tire fell onto it. And then over thousands of years, through random actions, just mistakes, another bolt, and some ball bearings, some rods, and over tens of thousands of years, it just evolved into that car. I said, wow, okay. Another buddy go, nah, Matt, come on, you know. Somebody designed that car, somebody made that car, somebody owns that car, somebody's coming back for that car. And you know what you want to say. Your sinful self says, hey, tell me that bolt thing again. <laughs> because if somebody's coming back for it, this is it. We don't belong to our, we don't own ourselves. God owns us. But we always, from the time we are this big to the time we die, it's, you're not the boss of me. And that's the same thing Satan says. And it's just that spirit that he fosters and he tries to foster in Christians all the time. And, of course, we know some of the ways that we, we fight against the devil. We pray, we worship, we study scripture, we work on ourselves, the problems we have, the sinful desires we have, get counseling if we have to, get accountability if we have to. But Dr. Tim Keel, in his book, Why Christian Kids Rebel, says that one of the biggest reasons Christian kids rebel is that they look at the non-Christian life and they look at the Christian life and the non-Christian life just looks better. He says, because non-Christians just appear to have more fun than Christians do. And this happened to me. When I was a kid, about 12 years old, in our house, we got MTV. Shows you how old I am. Back when MTV played music videos. And I remember watching Motley Crue. And Motley Crue seemed to live in this existence of nothing but booze, parties, and women, constantly. I don't even know when they got time to write songs. They just look like they partied 24-7. don't even look like they slept. And so I'm looking, I'm going to church, and I'm looking at Motley Crue, and I'm looking at church, and I'm looking at Motley Crue, and I'm like, that looks better. They look like they're having fun. And then you go to church, and I'm not kidding you, sometimes some, oh my goodness, we used to sing out of hymn books, and some people 
could sing the word joy in the most depressing tone of voice. <laughs> joy to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's joy? Whew. And there are too many Christians that were just like, I always appeared so angry. I always appeared upset. They were constipated or something. Always. And they get mad real quick. And they do this a lot. And I didn't see any of this over in Botley Crew. It was just whatever. You've got to have more fun. Your life as a Christian needs to actually look appealing to non-Christians. And that means you need to have fun. You need to tell jokes. You need to laugh at jokes. Even when they're inappropriate, they're probably still funny. Just laugh. Have a good time. Get people together. Get your family together. Sunday should be the day your family looks forward to. And I don't care what you have to do to make it that way. I I'll give you one suggestion in the morning. Bacon. <laughs> bacon makes everything better. Everything. In fact, I'm convinced that if we could raise the money, we could convert half the Muslims in the world just by introducing them to bacon. <laughs> Christianity, we have the meats. <laughs> bacon, make Sunday fun. Fry up some crap in the morning that, you know, and, and let them gorge themselves. And then you go to church and afterwards you have some pizza or something like that. Because pizza's fantastic. That's the, I mean, come on. How can you not sell the new heavens and the new earth when there will be calorie-free pizza? <laughs> Say amen, for goodness sakes, calorie-free pizza. <laughs> and so, and, and then you know, just watch football or watch movies or play games. Just play games. Find stupid games to play together. And just do it all the time. My wife turns any gathering into this. She has these games on her iPhone. I mean, we had Cedric Pierman here at the Bengals. Remember when he was here? Out to dinner with him. He goes, she just starts challenging him to games on his iPhone. And Cedric's like hyper competitive. So I had to like pull them apart. I mean, they were like, going, they were just going back and forth. And Cedric's like, who's keeping score? You know? And it was just fun. We need to have fun. Get people together and just. Have fun. We don't get together anymore. Just have fun. Have a lot of fun. Second thing. Second one. One of the ways that Satan works is to fill our life with a bunch of busy nonsense and not give us any time to reflect on our own mortality. We have a limited time on earth. I mean, you think about it. It's just, we, 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 a lot of people, I don't mean to be morbid, a lot of people in this room with us right now will not be here next year. And for goodness sake, scriptures are clear. Jesus could come at any time, any second. But we just live these lives of, of too much comfort, we get addicted to comfort and we just let our lives pass by. And we have this false image in our head that Christianity is all about being happy and comfortable and healthy. And it's not. 
how could Christianity be all about being happy and God being good to you when the entire faith was started when the best man who ever lived was tortured and died for us? How many of you saw God's Not Dead, the first one, the first movie God's Not Dead? You remember this clip? Chris, can you roll that clip? I don't even know what I'm doing here. I mean, it's not like you even know who I am. You prayed and believed your whole life. Never done anything wrong. And here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Their sin is like a jail cell except it's all nice and comfy and there doesn't seem to be any need to leave. The door is wide open. So one day, time runs out. The cell door slams shut. And suddenly, it's too late. Who did you say you were? Man. We need challenged, trained, prepared, our young people to prepare ourselves. And we need to understand we have a limited amount of time before we have to stand before our king and give an account for the life he has given us. We're not all of us. I mean, just if you think about it, we don't tend to think about death, which is probably somewhat healthy, but let's face it. I mean, I think I was thinking about it the other day. My grandfathers died. My great grandfathers died. Guys before them, I think, died. I think they're died. I think they're dead. Otherwise, they'd be on the Today Show with Matt Lauer or something, I'm guessing. You just come, we all come from like a long line of death, and it's just there. And it's going to happen. It's going to face us. One day, if we're lucky, we'll get old enough to sit in a hospice bed and know that our time is short. Most of us won't even know when it comes. Time is short. John Owen put it this way. He said, Satan's greatest success is in making people think they have plenty of time before they die to consider their eternal welfare. And this is especially true of 20-year-olds because most people in their 20s, when they walk away from the faith, they think they're bulletproof. They, they, they're not thinking about death. They're just not thinking about it. 
They're not thinking about the Lord's return, which could happen any time. They're not thinking about it. But it's there. And we need to remind people as gently as we can. Satan wants to keep us busy doing nothing. Ever had those days where you just, you, you're doing all kinds of stuff, at the end of the day you don't know what you accomplished? How many times do you look back and go, uh, it, how many times, if you, if you have a to-do list or something like that, do you put on there, share the gospel, invite someone to church? And some of you are doing a great job of this. Those numbers keep going up. We got five months to hit our goal. And at, probably here in about a week or two weeks, we're going to be at 50 baptisms. That's amazing. So those of you doing it, great. Those of you who aren't, time to start. Those of you who are doing it, keep doing it. You're doing a great job. People are meeting the Lord. People are coming to faith. And this is what we're here for. Our lives are not about being successful. Our lives are not about being comfortable. Our lives are about being obedient. That's all they're about. There will come a day when we stand before Jesus, when we will, I don't want you to wait to then to realize, oh, that's what it was all about. It is. It is. We need to have fun. We need to challenge. We need to train. We need to prepare. Because it's true warfare. Satan is the adversary, and he wants to devour us. Like the clip said, everybody else, he's just going to leave in that comfortable cell. Okay. Well, this week on Facebook, I asked for questions um, from you guys. If you had any questions about Satan and demons, and you did not disappoint. So, let's look at some of the questions that we got. If you throw those up there for me, Chris. Why do we not see more cases of demon possession here? Well, a couple things. First of all, Demon possession is actually rare even in the Bible. Now, there's often cases where it says a person has a demon. That's not the same as a demon possession. That's demon, demonic oppression, not possession. And that happens, demon, demonic oppression happens all the time. The Bible says that, that Satan is a murderer. Well, I have, I don't know how many people I have counseled who have been depressed and tell me they hear voices telling them to kill themselves. You know who that is? That's Satan. Now, depression and, and fear and anxiety and all that kind of stuff, that can come from a number of sources. I understand I'm not saying that's all demonic, but sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. So we face demonic oppression constantly, especially if you're doing anything at work. Because Satan wants to keep you from doing anything productive for the kingdom of God. Now, you talked also, he doesn't want demonic possessions everywhere because if you have demonic possessions everywhere, what's that going to do to the unbeliever? He's going to go, oh, maybe I was wrong about that whole atheism thing. If there are demon possessions, there must be demons. If there's demons, there must be Satan. If there's Satan, maybe there's something to that Bible and God thing. He's very happy to leave us as, oh, it's all science, don't worry. He's happy to leave us there. Now, you go into the third world, you talk to missionaries who've been in the third world for any amount of time, they will tell you some spine-tingling stories about demonic possession. I had the Diatlis, who were over in Africa for years, told me about a, a woman that they encountered who was demonically possessed. But possession is actually pretty rare. O demonic oppression is very, very common. 
And understand that, I mean, it has happened in North America. Uh, how many of you have seen the movie The Exorcist? It's okay. It's okay. It was written by a Catholic. It was written by uh, William Peter Blatty, who wrote The Exorcist, actually as a devoted Catholic. And he and was asked why he wrote The Exorcist. It's based on a true story, except it was in the 1950s, a little boy, not a little girl. And he said he wanted to write a sermon you couldn't fall asleep during. And so what happened was in the 1950s, a little boy was demon-possessed in Georgetown. Georgetown's just outside of Washington, D.C. And the little boy, the, the, where, he was, where they went through the exorcism, um, that corner they call the Devil's Lot. It's now a playground. I'm not kidding. I've been there. It's a playground now. But that actually did happen. Next question. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? Short answer, nope. You cannot be, as a Christian, you cannot be demon-possessed because if you have the Holy Spirit within you, the de demonic cannot coexist with God. It will flee from God. So you cannot, if you are a Christian, you cannot be demon-possessed. You can be demonically influenced. And that's different. If you have a recurring sin in your life, addiction, pornography, eating disorder, whatever, you have those kind of things, Satan wants to keep fostering that. He wants you to keep doing that. He wants to try to lead you as far away from God as he can get you. He's seeking to lead you astray, lie to you, kill you, devour you. That's what Satan is trying to do. So no, you cannot be demon-possessed. Now, Rick and I have talked, said, what would, what would happen if we encountered a case of demonic possession? My instinct is that I would run the 200 in a world-breaking fashion, probably. But the moment I heard that, I'm, uh, see ya. Um, but I, I hope I would man up. I don't know if I would or not, but we'll, we'll see. Oh, let's hope we don't see. Anyway, next question. When did Satan fall? This is a good question. Because you think about it. Satan and the angels did not pre-exist with God. Before creation, there was the Father, Son, and Spirit, and nothing else. Then, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it. So in Genesis 1-1, when God creates the universe, he also creates angels. Now by Genesis 3, by the time that he shows up in the garden in the form of a serpent, because he can take any form, he's a spiritual being. When he shows up in the form of a serpent, by that time it looks like he's already fallen, though some theologians say that maybe that was the fall. But my opinion is sometime between Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 is when Satan rebelled and took a third of the, of the angels with him. Now, understand, because we read through that pretty quick, but it's actually a very long time. For example, as, as Frank Turk was talking last week, um, you know, Frank said, understand that Adam had to name all the animals. How long would that have taken? You know, and then he made fun of, the, I don't know if, you, if it was in here or back there, we did some questions with the students. It was, it was pretty funny. It was like, you know that he was getting lazy. He goes, because he starts with like hippopotamus, rhinoceros, and he gets lazy. He's like, dog, cat, come on. <laughs> that take a long time. You've got a long time there 
And we don't even know if, if, if angels and demons were there, if they are even subject to time. Because one thing that's mind-boggling, some, of you, some people were upset that Frank Turk last week used the term the Big Bang. The Big Bang is a scientific term for that the universe had a beginning. That's it. Well, that's Genesis 1-1. It's, it's not, the Big Bang is not wrapped up with Darwinism or any of that kind of stuff. It's not. And so his whole point was all scientists agree the universe had a beginning. And because the universe does not create itself, something outside time, space, and matter had to do it. And we call that person God. Make sense? So Satan fell, you know, sometime in there, but we don't know exactly when. Next question. Was Satan created with free will? Yes. All the angels were created with free will. So yeah, I guess it's technically possible for an angel to fall today. Angels have free will. In fact, the Bible's clear they will be judged. We don't judge somebody as just a robot. And so Satan rebelled. He had to have the will to do so. God did not just create an adversary. Because God does not create evil. He creates freedom which creates the possibility of evil. Because without the opportunity to do evil, you're not really free. And the heart of love is freedom. You've got to have that freedom. And so Satan had free will, and he chose to rebel. So those are the questions we had. We're going to set it up. We're working on it, working on it, so that you can actually text questions in while we're here on the stage to answer uh, from the pulpit if that's something you're interested in. So we're going to try to make time for that as we move forward. Just to wrap this all up, here's the deal. So you know your adversary, your opponent, and he is your opponent. Satan is a fallen angel who had free will. He does not, by the way, reign in hell. Hell is not his kingdom. Hell is his punishment. This is why the demons, when, when Jesus goes to cast out the demons out of the Gadarene uh, demoniac, they say, oh, please, please, please don't cast us in there. Hell is their punishment. It's not a place where Satan's just walking around as king of the realm. It's a place where he will be, he will be cut off and suffer. But until that day comes, when that great day comes, when he is cast out, Evil is cast out, temptation is cast out, we have a fight. And he will seek to fight you. And one of the ways you need to fight back, worship, study, pray, and have fun. You can have fun. There's nothing wrong with, there's nothing sinful about having a good time. In fact, I would argue it's sinful to make the Christian life boring. We're on an adventure, we have a fight. That should never be boring. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the people here. I pray over all of them. I pray that you will protect them. I pray that you will prepare them. I, that you will train them and challenge them and be with them. May they fight this fight with the knowledge that you are with them and you will never leave them or forsake them. That you've already fought the battle. We know how the book ends. We've already won. We just have a battle, many battles to fight before that ends. I thank you for them. We thank you for your grace on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen. Hey, folks, if you haven't registered to vote, you can register to vote out there. If you want an absentee application for absentee ballot, you can do that. Sign up for the men's uh, Bible study, women's Bible study. If you're a first-time visitor, go back there and meet with uh, Rick and Cindy. They'll have a gift for you. God bless you. God go with you.